And you're very welcome along to the gardening program here on Midwest Radio on the Saturday morning. Boric, good morning, good morning to you. I think it's a day for inside, is it? Is it? Ah, uh, isn't a day for inside? <laughs> <laughs> well, after listening to that forecast, yeah, yeah. But it's look, not great weather. today. But tomorrow is meant to good, be much improved. And good. I think the earlier part of this coming week, I know we've, it's been a bit of a challenge, and I, uh, I can't. I'll be honest, I haven't been out in my garden too much in the last week and a half, partly because I noticed it was a bit underwater. Some of it uh, earlier in lot the week, of, yeah, lot, lot of rain, rain lot, lot of rain, rain around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we, I suppose, well, this does tie in a little bit with rain, and uh, when we have lots of it, you. At Climate Fest today. Yeah, the Climate Fest is on. Climate Fest is on in Castlebar uh, today in the GMIT Centre. Runs from 10 a.m. right through till 4 p.m. And they have uh, a whole line of of uh, workshops and speakers about climate change. And I suppose it's very apt with. Uh, well, it's, yeah, Thunberg's. with Greta Thunberg's, you know, just the way that has exploded, really, in terms of uh, the fact that she was a girl who kind of took this on herself uh, a year ago, was the only child in the school yeah. uh, outside, and look at what that was produced has yesterday achieved. was extraordinary uh, pictures from all over the world. I saw things particularly from Canada, from Montreal and Vancouver, and I think uh, from other areas as well, where Every country, uh, yeah. younger people out making their voices felt. So I suppose uh, events like Climate Fest really picks up on the thread of that. Absolutely. And I imagine uh, brings some practical elements for all of us uh, to the fore in things that we can do ourselves well, it's to try interesting. and help address. If you remember Bloom, uh, when we came back from Bloom, there was definitely a palpable sense of people wanting to do something for the environment. And I think people are actually looking for a flag to stand behind. They're, tr- they're trying to figure out what can they do in their own lives. You know, apart from the... The, the regular things are recycling but, but what else can they actually do in their own lives to make a difference in, in the world today and particularly with, with climate in mind and that's really I suppose the, the focus of uh, today's Climate Fest in the GMIT they really have a number of speakers that are going to give people practical steps not that we're trying to change the world in one day but that people are, might take home two or three or four things that they can actually start to implement in their own homes in their own garden in their own lifestyle to improve um, their carbon footprint. So they've got things like, simple things like speakers speaking about food waste, fashion, because fashion is one of the biggest polluters. I think it's second to, uh, is it car emissions or something? But fashion, okay. because of because of all the synthetic materials, materials that, that, that we use. clothing is now yeah. made of. We're also going to be talking about biodiversity, and I suppose that's where I come in. I'm going to be talking uh, from about a quarter to three to half three. Mm-hmm. So about a half, 45 minutes, and just really tell, advising people of what they can do with their own gardens to make the climate a little bit better. So I have some examples uh, to show on that. So if people want to, I suppose, come along, it is a free day. It's in the GMIT in Castlebar. And they've got a whole series on uh, recycling, reusing. McGrath's Wastes are there speaking about, you know, it can be quite complex to put this piece of plastic in which bin and all that sort of thing. Actually, it's it's a a minefield, I think, personally, myself. Yeah, Yeah, so it's all of that. um, It's it's really, you know, everything to do with... um, with climate and the climate change. They have also a very good section, which I thought about on communities and parishes. So I suppose this concept of bringing communities together in a sense of what a community could do in their, you know, the local towns and villages. What can we do in a practical sense to help with climate change? So that's on. I'll be speaking at uh, a quarter to three, right through to 3.30 in the workshop. But there's lots of other workshops going on. And um, I suppose the... 
the Climate Fest people are saying, come on down, it's in the GMIT. You can even go in for half an hour yeah. or an hour. You don't have to go for the Not whole day. Not at all. And, and, and just see what's going see on. See what's going on. I'm sure on. there's lots of stands. Obviously, there's talks like your own, but there'll be lots of other uh, sort of incidental information There as will well. be lots of stands there giving out information as well. It's been run by uh, Mayo County Council in association with the Sisters of Mercy. Uh, in Castlebar, which is great to see that they're they've um, are involved in it as well. So it's bringing, I suppose, lots of people around. Not that we're particularly that I'm an expert in climate change, but I can offer something that people can do in a practical sense in their garden or in their community to do uh, a little bit towards climate change. So that's kicking off today, ten o'clock through to four o'clock in the GMIT in Castlebar. So if people are free, and particularly on a wet day like today, yeah. it might be something to do. The other thing just to mention, just in our own garden centres, both Saturday and Sunday, we have our uh, annual NCT oh, for, pets. for the pets. So this is where we give back, I suppose, to the pet community. So if people have dogs in particular that they would like to get NCT'd freely, so that's where we bring in our vets and our groomers and our dog nutritionists and behaviour experts. Um, so people with dogs, if they want to get a free session today or tomorrow in Turlock in Castlebar in our garden centre there, they're free to come along. You do need to book though and the number to ring is 09490 So that's the garden centre, Hawkins in Turlock and that's our free pet NCDT day. So you've got all the ga- the experts gathered together and you literally go around, uh, bring your, your, your pooch, your dog around to each of, of the experts and they give you free advice. Is it mostly of, dogs or? Yeah, it can be dogs or cats but generally it's dogs that we find. Easier uh, to bring them yeah. in. So if people have, well. you know, if they want to bring their cat along, that's perfectly fine as well but generally it's mainly dogs we find so it's dog behaviour and behaviour issues anything on nutrition anything to do with the vet and anything to do with grooming of your dog so that's running today so if you want a place book it on 09490314435 that's the number in our Turlock Centre just give the lads a ring and they'll book you into a slot either today or tomorrow if you're free Excellent and finally the actual would you believe it the honey harvest has arrived. Has arrived. So the first jar of um, local honey from, and, and you know that I, I always, I use this myself, the yeah. Westport honey, but there's lots of honey, Irish honey, that people should look out for now because the beekeepers have been very, very busy over the last couple of weeks harvesting uh, this year's crop of honey. Um, speaking to the beekeepers, the, it's been a kind of a, a normal year. Last year was a honey flow because of the because really of good the weather. Other, yeah. and, and the bees were working 24-7. This year, because we've had I suppose more atypical summer and the whilst the honey crop is still good it's more typical in terms of yields so my advice is if you want to get some local Irish honey start looking at for it now in your local um, garden centres or food market and um, this is Westport honey that I brought into you today but there's also great honey in Ballina and Ballyhonas and all around the various communities have fantastic Irish beekeepers and it's something that I'll be saying today at the Climate Fest it's one of the ways that you can support the climate by supporting your local Irish beekeeper. Because most of the honeys that you buy in your supermarket are non-EU. I, I never know what that means. Coming, It means that it's coming yeah. po- possibly oh, from oh, China. This, this mix, you know, it's blended honeys. Oh, sorry, let me tell you what it means. It means that it's not local honey. Okay. It means that it's coming from places like China. China's production of honey has increased dramatically and um, some would say spurously in terms of there's a lot of sugar cane and other sweeteners being put into honey now from uh, from outside. So it may not be all just honey. It, absolutely. We're not and saying it isn't, but it may not be. No, and there's lots of, of papers have been written on this that, that what we're seeing around the world is that the consumption of honey is actually going up 
everybody's eating honey, but yet the production from the true beekeepers is actually going down because of bees all over the world are under various pressures from ver- ver- varroa and, and other pests. And suddenly China and Vietnam and India are producing tons and tons of honey, which doesn't just make sense. So right. I would be saying to you, if you are a fan of honey, try to get local Irish honey. And that should come from a local beekeeper somewhere in Westport, Newport, Claire Morris, Ballyhonas, Ballina, you know, in mm. our community, get to know who those people are. So this is Westport honey. This is the one I eat. It's fantastic. And and the reason I promote it is that the bee in visiting the flower takes the nectar from the flower and takes the pollen. That's all it takes. Human hand doesn't touch the the honey. It goes into a an extractor and from the extractor it's put straight into the, into the, the jar. jar. So there's no water, there's nothing added to it, there's nothing mixed. You're actually eating natural flower nectar and pollen and of course the pollen is very important if you want to build up those yeah. um, uh, immune system Systems. against the allergies of, of pollen. So look for it in, in, your, in your local shops at the moment. Ask for it. It tends to be available for maybe three or four or five weeks and then tends to disappear for another year. Unfortunately the guys don't seem to be able to enough of it um, to meet the demand at the moment. And when you are buying honey, look at the label and if it says from EU and non-EU sources Think, think about think it. About it. Yeah. Yeah. Think yeah. about it. It's purchase. not local honey. That's and I know it's probably, uh, you know, the, 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 the pure honey is going to probably cost that a little bit more, but, you know, I suppose in, in the grand scheme of things, all things in life, you get what you pay for. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a jar of natural medicine. Okay, it's That's like liquid, liquid gold. <laughs> and it does, good. actually, that jar there does look like liquid, uh, liquid gold. Yeah. And it's, it's a lovely pale colour, that one. And I, so they, they vary depending on yeah, the plants honey, that were involved absolutely. and all the rest of Some it. of the heather honeys yeah. can be a lot thicker a and, darker, and so on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but that's a blend of all the summer flowers, so the brambles, the dandelion, all the flowers that have been flowering since March, Beautiful. April, May, June, July, right through the summer. That's exactly what it is. So, so this is the time of year for local honey. But if if you are free, drop down to the Climate Fest, um, kicking off at ten o'clock. I'll be speaking at ten at a quarter to three till half three, and I'd love to see the workshop full. Great stuff. Well, I'd say you'll probably have a full house. Okay, Borg, we uh, always get communication in lots of ways. We don't get too many letters, but no, a lovely letter don't. from uh, Bridie in County Galway, and she sent us a sample of the plant uh, that she has a question about. It's a plant that has grown in my garden. She says, I don't know what it is. Is, um, and she's wondering if you might be able to uh, enlighten us a small bit and give us a bit of information about and it. And the plant she sent in, yeah, it's actually the lovely flower buds just beginning to start mm. and, and that waxy leaf, which tells us that this plant is a plant called the ice plant or sedum spectabiles. It produces beautiful pink flowers at this time of year, every year. It's a perennial plant that comes back year after year and very, very easy to grow. Um, it, it grows in height, generally up to about eight inches, possibly two feet. Mm. Now, one of the things with sedum with this particular sedum is that in the autumn, particularly if we get rain like we've had today, it often flops over because the weight of the flower and the weight of the water on the top of the stems actually gets it to to fall out. And if that happens, my advice is to give it the Chelsea chop in May. So allow it to regrow next spring. In May then, cut the stems back by about four or five inches and that actually gets the plant to stay smaller in stature, bushier, a lot more flowers and a lot more sturdy under those kind of windy autumn 
conditions. But it's a plant called Sedum Spectables, very easy to grow. It is perennial, it comes back year after year. You can propagate it quite easily by division. Okay. So after it finishes flowering, say in November, mm. you can dig it up, cut it back, split it up into two or three pieces and give it to your neighbour, friends or family. So if Bridie wants to give it away to other people, you can certainly do that with it. The other thing to remember with Sedum Spectables is that it is a fantastic bee plant. And because many flowers have gone out of flower coming into the autumn, sedum is one of those that's full of nectar. So Bridie will see the bees, particularly on dry days, mm. visiting this particular flower when it comes into bloom. Does so it grow? Does it grow big? No, in height, height about 18 inches. Now, as I say, if you give it the Chelsea chop, which literally means pruning it back around the first or second week of May and only taking maybe four or five inches off the top of the plant, you keep it shorter, bushier, more compact and a lot more flowers on the plant because one of the one of the uh, things that annoy people about the sedum is that it tends to f- kind of fall apart if we get wet, cold, windy weather. Right. The type of weather we're having at the moment, it, it can sometimes fall over because it's so top-heavy with, with, with flowers. The flowers are quite heavy on top. The leaves are a very waxy type leaves, so they're quite heavy as well. And particularly when you get rainfall on it, it tends to fall over. So you'll often hear me talking about the, the Chelsea chop in May. It's, it's, it's uh, generally associated with the time the Chelsea flower mm-hmm. show is on. And if you shorten back plants like phlox or um, any of the kind of tall herbaceous plants, particularly the sedum, you keep the plant shorter, bushier and far more colour from the plant as well. So it propagates very easy. You can actually take stem cuttings from it as well. You can divide it and give it to family or friends. But it's a great garden plant and it's one of those that once you have it in the garden and it's happy, you'll have it every year after that. And it just keeps coming back. Keeps coming back year after year. And it'll stay in flower till we get the really, really cold frosts in November. So Bridie can look forward to at least four, five, six weeks of colour from this plant now, yeah. from now right through until, you know, the first or second week of November. So it's a really nice plant, the ice plant. Particularly when you get frosty weather, it looks, you get this kind of frosty, icy f- effect on both the flowers and the stems. If you feel the leaf on it, okay. it's, it's, it's succulent. It's like a cacti. Oh, it is, yeah. 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 So it's an unusual type it's of... A, it is unusual. Yeah, you'd sure. swear it's an indoor plant, uh, but it's, it's actually outdoor and, and so easy to grow. And it comes in shades of pinks and kind of darker reds. There are a couple of different varieties of it. So it's Sedum spectabilis. That, yeah, and, and there are other forms of sedums. Uh, the sedum, the common name for sedum is stone crop. And some of the sedums only grow maybe an inch in height. And they've often been used on green roofs. So you know the trend now where they're actually using plants on the top of the roofs to, to insulate roofs in houses. They're using things like house leeks and sedums. They're the actual plants because they literally grow in sand. They're so easy to grow. But this is a taller version of it. Sedum spectables, as I say, will grow at least 15 to 18 inches, maybe up to two feet in height. Um, and so is a lot taller and more suitable for the flower board or a bed. But that's what it is. Fantastic. Well, Bridie, many happy years of uh, flowering for your, your Sedum spectables. Exactly. I just love and, the name of it. And she sent, Bridie sent me a self-addressed yes. envelope. So, so we'll, I will, we'll I will write all I said. <laughs> I'll write it all out and, uh, and send it back to her. Okay, wonderful stuff. Right, uh, questions, Mark. And yeah. I know this is something you were going to talk about a little bit anyway. We've got a couple of questions about uh, bird boxes right. and nesting boxes. Okay. So, I have five wild bird boxes on trees in the garden. All were used by birds for nesting this spring. Is this the time of year to clear them out? Or what food should one use for the birds for winter? Ah, great question. And it is, we're coming into that time of year. I suppose the, traditionally the, the thinking was that you fed birds autumn, winter and spring. But now the recommendation is we feed them all year round, uh, preferably. 
But so the, what birds are looking for at this time of year are high fat and high protein feeds. So things like sunflower seeds, which again you get you get in your local garden centre for uh, birds, and um, things like the, the the just the wild bird mixes are really good. Peanuts, which are very high in um, protein as well. So any of those kind of uh, rich protein nuts are, are, are used pieces of fruit can be used as well and it is the time of year for cleaning out nesting boxes so we clean them out at this time of year because the birds have to do that next spring so you're saving that job so mm. anytime over the autumn winter uh, is a good time to clean out nesting boxes it's also a good time for putting up new nesting boxes because uh, the, it gives them time for them to weather before springtime because the birds will start seeking out in February and March new nesting sites so if you put your nesting box up now they've got a chance to to weather and become I suppose you know the freshness tends to come so off the weathering them. is important it is because the birds the birds will check out various different nesting boxes and they're looking for something that has um, that's obviously going to be dry the, the placing of nesting boxes is important as well that they're not in direct sunlight so generally north facing um, east facing west facing locations obviously away from traffic as much as possible so if you had maybe ivy growing up on a wall mm. put the nesting box in there or maybe on a tree just out of the way and don't put your nesting boxes where you're feeding the birds so feed them in one part of the garden put the nesting boxes in other areas oh. because if, if b- birds won't nest where other birds are feeding it's oh, because of, the of course one yeah. Yeah. birds will eat communally yeah, as such absolutely yeah. but they want to nest privately Separately. as it were that so, so it, it is important but it's a great time to clean them out it's a great time to start feeding birds I always think it's great for kids as well because you get that huge amount of activity in the garden right through the winter period and there's such a variety of seeds now too and, and the advice really is to go for a different don't feed all nuts because you tend to get a type of bird that will feed on just the peanuts. Right. So robins, for example, tend to be ground feeders. So they their their feeders need to be closer to the ground. They tend to go hop along the ground to feed, oh, yeah, or they yeah, come yeah. up slightly maybe onto bird tables. But they generally dislike those higher um, bird feeders up kind of too high. Whereas things like blue tits will, will go for for feed anywhere. So it's it's go for a mixture of different feeds and have the the feeding um, units at different levels as well for the, the different garden. birds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Niger seed is also a very good seed. It's the black seed. Um, it's a real oily seed. Niger, N-I-G-E-R seed, which is really good as well for, for, um, for just again, for a variety of different birds that you want to encourage into the garden. So go for a mixture. Small amount of peanuts, small amount of wild bird mix. Um, the, the Niger seed is really good as well. Sunflower seed is brilliant as well. And you, again, you, you get, to get them in the local garden centre this time of year. Okay, so yes. So feeding, nesting, put up some new nesting boxes, clean out the old nesting boxes and feed on a regular basis really. Small, you know, small amounts and, and, and often. Now, I have a lot of poplars in our garden. I want to get rid of them because the roots are shooting up everywhere. What is the best product to get to get, kill them off essentially? Um, and what's the right time of year to do it? On, on today of all days of Climate Fest. <laughs> <laughs> Killing off the poplars. Well, I suppose if they're, they have become like, because they grow so tall. They grow so tall. Uh, they they and, can yeah. be a bit cumbersome and yeah. almost invasive, I suppose. Yeah, and not only that, they're a bit like eucalyptus and eucalyptus grows in New Zealand and, and the thing in New Zealand and, and Australia is that they have the forest fires on a regular basis. So plants like um, eucalyptus have a Adapted themselves that they can be burnt to ground level by by 
you know, forest fires, but they've got the great ability of reshooting again from beneath the soil. So their roots contain new buds that once a fire goes sweeps through a forest, the likes of eucalyptus can reshoot. And poplars are very similar. And they've got right at the base of the plant, they've got, and along the roots, they've got um, buds that will initiate new shoots. So even though you cut a poplar tree down, the roots of that plant will start to regrow again. So my advice really is is to cut the main plant to, to soil level and then treat the trunk with something like the SBK treatment. So you drill a couple of holes in the tree and apply that and that will kill off the root structure as well. So that's the way to get rid of, of poplars. Okay, great. Uh, just looking at some of the pictures coming in there on WhatsApp, but we'll come to those after the break. Strawberry plants, some in tunnel and some outside. Plenty of leaves, but there's no fruit. Okay, well, that's kind of worrying. If there's no fruit this summer, obviously, strawberries have finished their, their fruiting cycle now. Um, so really, and, and the thing with strawberries is that you tend they tend to be very productive for up to three years, three, four years. After that, the individual plants get spent. And so it's a good idea to either propagate your own plants from, from runners each year or to change the plants every three to four years. So it may be a case that the plants have just become old, exhausted um, and are, have, have stopped fruiting and, and if so then it's a good idea maybe to propagate some runners um, and they should be evident on the plant this time of year or buy some fresh plants and start them off again. Strawberries should be put out of doors for the winter. Don't leave them in the tunnels for the winter period because they actually need a chilling, they need a cold um, frosty period to initiate flower buds for the following year and obviously if they're not flowering they're not going to fruit. Um, so if you have strawberries in pots or containers, my advice really is tidy them up at this time of year put them out of doors until February or March of next year and then bring them back into the tunnel for um, the flowering period. When they're in flower, you must, they must be in uh, the bees have to get access to them as well for good cross-pollination but it sounds to me like the plants are possibly just a little bit old maybe tired and a good idea to restart them again lovely now how can i sow seeds indoors in trays as the water keeps seeping out of the trays onto the sill is there a waterproof tray or pot oh good question well um you can actually get a tray that sits under the seed tray Fresh that would collect any water. And generally when you're sowing seeds indoors, so first of all, it's a great idea because obviously the weather at the moment is a little bit inclement, but you've also got, our, our homes are warm at the moment. And if you sit a, a tray of seed on a bright windowsill indoors, the seeds will germinate in two or three weeks. So first of all, don't have the compost too wet. It should be moist, but it shouldn't be at the extent that it's actually dripping all over your windowsill. Obviously the compost is too wet to start with. Once you sow the seed, as I always recommend, put on the cling film over the surface of the top of the tray because that keeps the moisture in and it saves you having to water or add any additional water um, to the compost until such time as the, the seeds germinate. But in your local garden centre, you will get trays that you can slip in under the seed tray and that will hold the moisture, any moisture that might leak away. The other thing you can use is use coffee cups. You know the cups? Oh, yes. And get yourself a couple of compostable coffee cups and fill those with compost because they're waterproof. <laughs> the water isn't yeah. going to leave from them. Yeah. Most of them have the translucent lids now. Um, so simply get a, a coffee cup, fill it three quarters with compost, sow the seeds, put the lid of the coffee uh, pot, pot or cup. the coffee cup on the top of the that'll trap the moisture inside it'll right. let the light through yeah. leave it for two weeks 
take off the lid. You've got yourself seedlings germinated, ready to go. Uh, why? Of course. Yeah, I've never really... Because uh, the light... Never thought of the that light one, yeah. kind of comes through. Of you course. know, the, the, the pale white top of the... Of yeah. The, yeah, and it well, keeps many the of them have translucent in. lids now, which are, are... Some of them are white, which the mm. light will still get through, but some of them have kind of a, an opaque kind of uh, yeah. clear, like like pla- pla- like a like piece plastic, of... Clear, yeah. yeah. And you literally just leave the lid on it, leave it for two weeks, sit it on the windowsill, you'll have no spillage, you'll fit enough, you'll fit 40 or 50 seedlings in a, in, the, in a, the top of a coffee cup, so sweet peas or whatever you want to sow, and literally two weeks later or ten days later, as mm. soon as they've germinated, take the lid off and let them grow on. Away you go. And it's a perfectly sealed unit. You can water it without it spilling all over the place. Fantastic. So four or five coffee cups, and you're recycling, of course, as well. And, and all the rest and of And all it. that good stuff. What is the best food for houseplants? Houseplants. Well, it depends on the houseplant that, that you're growing. So green-leafed houseplants, so things like mother-in-law's tongue or, uh, say, the castor oil plant or the umbrella plant, which I know I think we have a question in mm. on. So green foliage plants, you want a high nitrogen feed. So something like Baby Bio is actually brilliant. It's high in nitrogen. It's easy to use. If they're flowering plants like cacti or plants that are, are flowering inside, um, things like um, the gardenias, uh, then you need a high potash feed. So something like the agrofash, um, the the um, the Osmo liquid feed would be very good as well, or phosphogen, anything with high potassium, high potash. Uh, so nitrogen for the leafy plants and potassium, which is the element of K on the, the side of the pack. So generally the fertilizers, the tomato feed, tomato mm. feed would be a very yes. simple one to use for flowering plants inside. It'd be perfectly fine. Generally at this time of year, uh, house plants you should be cutting back on the watering cutting back on the feeding so they shouldn't require watering more than possibly once a month at this time of year depending on the heat of the room and also the feeding i would i wouldn't feed them more than once of once every two months at this time of year so they're kind of slowing down now because the light levels are slowing down as well so cut back on the watering cut back on the feeding of house plants and uh, kind of give them a rest period mm. Not, don't neglect them completely but ebb on the side of having them slightly underwatered than overwatered at this time of year. Now you mentioned the umbrella plant and yes we do so somebody's wondering they have an umbrella plant it's too high can they cut it back? Yes you can and so this is very common with umbrella plants it's a great indoor plant some of them come in a variegated leaf so you get the green leaf form so it's a plant called Schefalaria is the Latin name and it's got these I suppose umbrella like leaves on the plant very very simple easy indoor plant to grow the variegated forms which means they have green and yellow in the leaf they tend to be less vigorous so they're slower growing and, and possibly more suitable mm. as an indoor plant and my advice is when you buy an umbrella plant from year one you should be pinching out the growing points the leading shoots cutting them back with a scissors or pinching them out with your finger and thumb to encourage a bushier plant because the tendency of most plants is to head vertical and you tend with umbrella plants to get this tall lanky leggy plant rather than the shorter bushier plant so as it's growing take out the center leaders with the scissors or with a your finger and thumb every every couple of months and that keeps the plant smaller and 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 um more dwarf and more bushy and more manageable in the in this instance for the listener you can certainly take up to a foot or 15 inches off the top of the plant even up to two feet you can cut it back now at this time of year and that'll encourage the plant to fill out and um become a lot bushier now it'll still grow taller as the years go mm. on but you're certainly you can manage it and you can trim it back it's it's one of those easy to grow indoor plants okay the great. umbrella tree yeah now somebody's wondering can they cut down hazelnut trees and by how much 
Well, you can cut them back. First of all, they're fruiting at the moment. They, I was going to say, uh, they would be fruiting at oh, the moment. Oh, yeah. Normally, yeah. kind of late August, September, they're, they're producing their fruit. Um, so go out and check. You might you might have a, a nice hazel uh, hazelnut crop. Um, but hazels respond to being pruned back. They'll reshoot again. And normally, it's done when the leaves go off the plant. So you'll often get hazel, for example, in hedgerows, in wild hedgerows. And they're cut back by the uh, by the machines every year and will regrow again quite happily. Hazel is one of those plants that's it's very easy to grow it actually tolerates quite wet conditions and it's a great irish plant because yeah, it's, it's native to here isn't it it, it's, it's um it is but it's it's um not only is it a, is a, it native but it's a great flowering plant for bees and it obviously produces the nuts in the autumn so a very simple plant to grow you can prune it at this time of year and uh yeah yep. cut it back cut it back now somebody's wondering about box trees in pots what do we feed them well, you, worry, you, you don't need to feed them really at this time of year unless they've gone out of colour, unless the leaves have gone kind of yellowish or they're going out of colour. Again, we're coming into the time of year where most plants, you're not feeding them out of doors because they're slow, the growth is slowing down and um, they won't really require feed, feeding till March or April of next year. So if they're showing a little bit of yellowing, I would use the top box, okay. which has the fungicide and a liquid feed in it and that'll just correct that yellowing. But if they're nice and healthy and looking really well, then don't bother feeding them till next March or April. At that time of year, you can use a liquid feed if they're in pots. So again, something like the Osmo liquid fertiliser would be perfectly fine or a tomato feed would just give them a kickstart. Boxwood is a slow-growing plant, so it doesn't need a lot of... Uh, feeding as such you know compared to roses or plants that you want to put on a lot of growth yes we certainly feed those but boxwood is something you want to grow slow easy and then as i say the boxwood the top box treatment is a good treatment to give it because it has a fungicide which stops the box blight coming onto the plants and it's got a liquid feed which will just help to green up the leaves and that's what i'd use if they're showing a bit of yellowing at the moment now i'm just back from canada i'd love to have some autumn color from trees what two or three types are best i've plenty of room for larger trees okay well if you want to be inspired for autumn color canada Canada, is the place to go yeah i know they have they have this wonderful um uh, thing that they track the change of the colours of oh, the leaves right. yeah, yeah. and I know if you look up one of the probably the government websites uh, they have this whole thing of the different areas across it the country it starts in one part yeah, it yeah, starts yeah, and, yeah. and they trace it over and you know leaf colour going from yellow to reds it's really quite extraordinary but Brilliant. anyway inspire us a little bit well I suppose it, coming from Canada I suppose the, 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 the tree to mention is the Canadian maple um, and there's a lovely variety called Acer Autumn Blaze and as the name suggests it produces fantastic autumnal colours changing from green to yellows to oranges to reds to kind of a purpley red before it falls and the leaf on Autumn Blaze is the size of your hand so it's a really large leaf very colourful and it makes a big tree so it's a big maple typical lollipop shape nice central clean stem and a big fat round head so it's a lovely statement plant and particularly if you've got space it's one I would certainly grow so Acer Autumn Blaze would be top of the list. Liquid Amber the Sweet Gum which again is is a fantastic tree for autumnal colours. Again it comes to us from North America. Beautiful plant. The leaves are slightly smaller than the um, than the Autumn Blaze but very similar shape and it's maple-like. The leaf is very similar on liquid amber. Again, a great tree for bees, but lovely autumnal colour. A nice plant that I like comes to us from Iran called Perotia persica. And we have two of them planted in the garden centre in Turlock. People will see them turning now. Smaller leafed uh, plant, but again, beautiful autumnal colours. They're just changing now at the moment um, from a 
dark green to a, a ready purple at the moment. Beautiful plant. So that's Parotia persica. Um, easy, easy tree to grow as well. Loves the Irish conditions, even though it comes to us from Iran. Yeah, um, okay. Things like the Schumachs, the, the Rustifinia Schumach or Stag's Horn, it, it produces this, the branches, the young branches re- resemble the antlers of a stag. stag. So the, and that's what gets its name, stag's horn fern. And the leaves then are fern-like during the summer green. But again, at this time of year, they're turning turning orange, red and scarlet. So, so there's quite a number of trees. Colourful. And there's also a lot of trees that produce berries for the winter. So anything in the Malus family, the Sorbus family, they're all producing their berries at the moment, which again is great for wildlife. A couple of, where am I going first? No, I'm actually going to talk about October flowers, or you are actually, I'm going to ask you about it. Uh, what flowers bloom in October, please, Porek, as I have my wedding in a few weeks' time, says oh, Mary. Right. Okay, well, a lovely plant that's in flower, Mary, at the moment are the nearines, uh, which are... Which we have a question on as yeah, well, I they, think. I think. They, they're beautiful. They're beautiful at the moment, um, and you should get them in your local garden centre. So nearines, they're normally planted from bulbs, um, generally in January, February, and then they come into flower every year at this time of year, and particularly if you have a cluster of them together, they look absolutely fabulous. Another plant that flowers for the autumn are the Japanese anemones, which again give fantastic colour. Perennial plant that comes back year after year. They come in shades of pinks and whites, um, lovely kind of daisy-like flower with a yellow centre, make a fantastic cut flower. So they're particularly uh, nice uh, right right through October period. Chrysanthemums will be flowering again right through the um, autumn period, so they're quite good, generally up to November. Um, roses will still be in flower for another couple of, of weeks yet. Uh, some of the heleniums are, will still be flowering. So kind of the late summer, autumn asters, Michaelmas daisies or asters they're brilliant as well for autumn and that Cedrum Spectabilis that we mentioned at the top of the programme that's just coming into flower at the moment again will flower but generally what I advise for people with that are having weddings is to come in maybe two weeks before the wedding because it depends on the weather as well that we're going to get over the next uh, in the next couple of weeks and there are lovely shrubs too that give lovely uh, autumnal colours like skimmy rubella which has uh, evergreen leaves but lovely red buds on the plant and it gives that kind of nice winter theme as well pernicious have lovely winter berries during October so there are plenty of really good plants that give autumn colour yeah. speaking of the nerines yeah. yep um Somebody, and I think this may be it, what is the lovely flamingo pink flower in gardens about three foot tall, single stems with rich pink flowers Yeah, that's it. It couldn't that's be described any better. Yeah, the, the foliage stays quite quite low um, and you get these long stems and beautiful pink flowers. Flamingo pink, that's a great way that's to describe crazy, yeah. them. Yeah, and, they're, and they're leggy as well like flamingos. Yeah, and they're and ideal as a cut flower and up to about three feet. So you've got a nice clean stem for about 18 inches or two feet for cuttings. They're absolutely uh, beautiful. And uh, the bulbs could be actually available now but definitely in January the bulbs are available for planting okay because they this is the time yeah of the and they come in different colors the, the near, near ends come in in pinks and kind of purpley color and also in whites now we have a photograph in pork and you've had a quick look at this um so similar plants coming to the fore today uh, horrible weather we're told here in Manchester can you tell us what this pink plant is and can I take cuttings yeah so this is probably is following on from the, what we chatted about this morning this is the ice plant that uh, that I mentioned that Bridie sent the sample Mm-hmm. and it's actually a very good example it's a plant that's actually growing in a pot but you can see from the plant it has actually kind of fallen apart a little bit it's kind of hanging out of the pot and that's simply because obviously it's, it's wet <laughs> well it's wet of course and the, the top of the plant is heavy and it tends to just fall over and that's my point really with the Chelsea chop if that plant is cut back in May just taking four or six inches off the top of the plant you'll end up with a shorter bushier nicer plant now but the fact that it's in a pot it could be actually taken 
out of the pot now. Once it goes out of flour, it can be divided into two or three pieces and replant it. So maybe leave it in the, in the container to flour for another couple of weeks. Then once it goes out of flour, cut it back, take out the root, divide it up into five or six pieces and transplant it into other parts of the garden or maybe then move it into new pots as well. So that's, it's a very, very easy plant. Great for colour at this time of year and the bees are just going to love it. Excellent. Now I'm just going to uh, divert from gardening for one quick second. Uh, just to notice a set of keys was lost on the Athlone to Ballina train yesterday. They left Athlone at four o'clock. Uh, the passenger changed at Manulla. If anyone uh, can help us out on that, give us a call 0818 3055. Now back to photographs, Porik, and a bit of an unfortunate situation here. Uh, two photographs of some trees that have been cut. Um, they were cut off by mistake we understand um, can you advise what can they do uh, with the trees the branches they don't think are going to grow back so. okay so this is this is a, an evergreen conifers that were planted between two houses mm-hmm. and because the lower branches have been pruned now up to about eight or nine feet you can see one neighbour can now look into the other yeah. neighbour's garden okay. our windows so um, so oh. my, look at, after looking at the plants to be honest my advice now they're not going to regrow again those those stems and trunks are going to remain bare so that vista and that view is going to remain open um, the, there's no chance of the branches regrowing again lower down you're going to have the green growth which is about 15 or 16 or 20 feet above in the air uh, serving no purpose to be honest, my advice would be to take those out completely, to remove those trunks and plant something, um, you know, something evergreen uh, so you can get mature hedging plants up to six and seven feet on now already. To fill in those gaps. To create an instant, I mean, the purpose here, what the, what the listeners are trying to do is, is recreate that privacy back in the garden yeah. as well. So if they've got a seven or eight foot high evergreen uh, hedge between one neighbour and the other, they'll succeed in doing that. So my advice really would be to take out the larger trees completely and plant an evergreen instant hedge between both neighbours. And as I say, you can get things like Portuguese laurel or Arctic King laurel that are literally six and seven feet today. Right. You can plant them in and it'll create that instant barrier or instant screening between both uh, neighbours. You could plant something like beech, which would be lovely as well. Um, underplanting by putting just the hedging in with the tree still there is going to be problematic. So my advice really would be to take that right. line of trees. There's only about five or six trees in total. Um, is there, count them again? Yeah, about, yeah, about five, five, six, five, six, six trees. Six, so six seven, so really. if they were taken out and a trench dug and literally the instant hedging put in, you'd have a wall of instant foliage overnight okay. and you'd, you'd be back to... Um, you will be back to, to everybody having their own privacy. Okay. Sunflower in a pot outside, should I plant it in the garden at this point? Well, it's not hardly worth it because they are annual. Now, the thing to do with sunflowers, if people have them in the garden, I mentioned the sunflower seed for the birds and sunflowers after flowering produce seed, those old seed heads. Mm. The birds will come and feed on those during the autumn period. So my advice really is just to leave it in the pot, allow it to flower, make sure it's well staked, let the flower then go over. The seed will form within the flower head. The birds will come and pick on those. Now you can actually take some of the seeds as well and save them for next year and start your your new sunflower generation in February and March of next year indoors. But they are annual, they won't survive the winter and um, so best left alone now. Let the birds feed on the flowers and then once we hit maybe late November just you know chuck them out and start again. Now can I plant rhubarb at this time of the year? What are your tips for planting and best types and when will it be ready to cut? Oh well <laughs> a little bit of patience with rhubarb because it's remember when you were harvesting rhubarb you're taking the stems and foliage from the plant which tends to weaken the plant so first of all it's the perfect 
time of year for planting rhubarb. Two really good varieties. Um, there's one called, well, there's three that, that come to mind. So there's one called Champagne, which is beautiful pink, uh, beautifully flavoured um, rhubarb. It's a pink-sticked variety called Champagne, really nice one. An old variety called Victoria that's generally ready in the middle of the summer. And one called Timberly Early. And all of those varieties are available at the moment for planting. My advice is to plant some of each because Timberly Early, you're ready to harvest in March. The followed by Champagne, which is ready in April, and Victoria then is picked in May and June. So you've got rhubarb right through from early spring to kind of midsummer. Um, generally speaking, you leave it two years from planting, but down plenty of organic matter if you can get your hands on some farm manure or compost, put that down with the plant, feed them up well for the first couple of years, and then start harvest, harvesting them. Um, I'm cleaning out my greenhouse and notice a lot of wood lice. Do I need to get rid? And also, what could I sow in the greenhouse now? Okay, well, wood lice do, do very little harm. They, they, they can damage, say, young seedlings. So if the listener is sowing a lot of seed, then certainly wood lice can feed on the seed and, and young seedlings. But apart from that, they don't, don't do any damage to uh, maturing plants. So generally speaking, they're left alone. They tend to feed on dying matter. We had this with the millipedes mm. last week. Um, so oh, wood lice right. tend to live in dampish areas like greenhouses in undercover, um, but they're feeding more on the dead and dying roots and leaves of plants rather than actually damaging plants. So my answer is no, you leave them alone, to be honest. At this time of year, you can be sowing seed in the greenhouse. You can be potting up bulbs at this time of year. You can be taking cuttings of many of your favourite garden plants and propagating them indoors in the greenhouse. You can sow all the winter uh, things like Japanese onion sets, garlic can be planted now indoors. Winter lettuce can be so can be the plants are available. You can actually get some plants or seed in your local garden centre. Look for Sutton Speedy Veg that can still be sown at this time of year and it's generally ready to to trim four or five weeks after you sow it. So it's very very fast. You can sow herbs at this time of year for next year. So use the greenhouse to propagate plants, to pot up plants, to overwinter plants, but also to grow some of your favourite kind of five a day for the winter period. Okay. So winter lettuces, um, you know, things like uh, Swiss chard, spinach, all that will grow, per- Japanese onion sets will grow perfectly fine in the greenhouse. Is it okay to plant garlic now? It is, yeah. Like I mentioned, this is actually the time of year for planting garlic. It can be planted in the tunnels and greenhouse, but it can plant yeah. it out of doors as well. And it comes in different flavours. So if you like a really punchy garlic, you can get a really strong flavour garlic called Marco, or there are lots of lighter flavoured varieties as well. So generally in your garden centre, you'll have a choice of three or four different uh, strengths, depending on um, what you like. Oh, what you like. Sorry, now we're starting to run out of time a small little bit, so I just want to look at for one or two more uh, of the shorter answered questions. Somebody wondering if anyone is doing beekeeping courses in Mayo for beginners. Uh, so I'm sure they are. Uh, generally, Benny Hawn is here at do, uh, do the club. Contact your local beekeeper club. It's a great thing to join for the winter as well because they tend to have monthly uh, meetings and seminars, and Westport are brilliant at this as well, Westport Beekeeping Club. So get in contact with your local beekeeper. It's a great hobby. It's absolutely superb hobby. Lots of questions on the bees today. Uh, are there any particular flowering bulbs more suitable for bees to plant now? Well, the tip, the tip for all, and I'll be touching on this today at the at the Climate Fest talk. But the, generally, the, the the tip for all flowering plants for bees is to go for single flowering plants. So things that have small, inconspicuous flowers like crocuses are absolutely brilliant. Snowdrops are brilliant for bees. The muscaria 
So there's a collection of single flowering bulbs. Winter aconites, for example, are mm. absolutely brilliant. And same if you're planting trees or shrubs, go for simple flowering plants, not the big double peony roses and double flowering roses or hydrangeas. They're useless for bees because they, there's too many petals or some of the flowers are sterile. So, so small, simple flowering plants is what to use. And somebody is fessing up to say they've neglected their roses all summer. Can they give them a feed now? it's hardly worth it I mean the answer is you can but look at they're going to be slowing down from now on um, you know you could give them a liquid feed and give them a bit of a boost but look at as, as we come into November give them a good hard pruning back clean them up and then next spring put it in your diary to start feeding them on a monthly basis and treating them with the rose rescue once a month and take care of them it's a bit yeah, the horses galloped to okay. a certain extent 2020 is coming 2020 is coming but enjoy the flowers because they can flower up to Christmas and, and certainly you know coax them on now okay. uh, the weather hasn't been too kind to roses in the last couple of weeks um, we're reminded I know you're off to Climate Fest uh, Mary has been on from the PPN uh, the Public Participation Network stand they'll be there in GMIT as well at Climate Fest today um, they're a great organisation and they do super work for all the different groups so and you're there this afternoon. So I'm there. I'm going to be there from uh, quarter to three, right through to 3.30. Um, love to see people come along to the workshop. Look, it's going to be a bit of fun, a bit of crack. Um, I've some just a couple of interesting, I'm going to be talking about Boris Johnson, for example. Okay, that'll be interesting, I'm <laughs> so sure. What, what has he got to do with Climate Fest? But I have a story to tell you about poor, poor old Boris. And uh, so I'll be there from a quarter to three, right through to 3.30. And I'll do deal with some general and gardening questions as well. And do remember our NCT is on in the garden centre, so people who have their pets and they want to get them checked out free of charge give the garden centre a ring on 0949031435 Garmila Mahogath Porik until next week stand by news on the way at uh, 10 o'clock and after that it's Country Classics here on Midwest Radio with Michael Neary from Me Deirdre Kelly until next Saturday good morning to you